0: I'm sitting in front of you as a friend. Um, In the word it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of the enemy. So many times people tell us what we want to hear, what feels good, like, oh, I agree with that. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, that feels good. Yes, you know. And then someone comes up and says something that we don't want to hear, and we're like, oh, you're the enemy. You're bad because you don't see things how I see things. So what we're going to do is... um, first can you bring my water right down there i forgot to bring my water thank you um is um i want to share my heart with yours as a friend and as a pastor's wife i've been in ministry in this church for 26 years and so and in different various women's ministry uh areas as well served in a little bit of everything And the one thing that I have seen take people out of church and out of relationships, out of fellowship the most, um, are people being offended. Woundings. I would almost say that's a tough thing. I can't verify that. And so sometimes there are wounds that we don't know how to get healed from sometimes they're wounds and we don't know how to forgive okay and um during this session it's really i'm really going to be calling forth remember how we learned last night about seeing through the correct lens all right the lens of our past sometimes the lens of our hurts or offenses our wounds sometimes the wounds the the uh, lens of uh trials tribulations Cloud our lenses so we don't see, we see them in just the normal, everyday uh, lens. You know, we don't, we can't see that. Instead of seeing them through the word of God. So that's what we're going to go through today. Are you ready? Are you ready? Amen. Okay. Um, Some of the fences that we go, that we hold on to, they are real. You know, they they are legitimate hurts. Like you have been wronged. So in everything I'm saying, I am not trying to tell you that you were hurt, you were wrong, you were wounded, you're going through this trial, it's your fault, um, you should get over this, like, I am not at all trying to say that. That is not it. But what we do need to do is see our wounds, see what God's doing, and seeing him through the cross. Amen? Amen. Okay, so what are we as a church called to do? Not like this particular body, but a church. Immediately we think about Matthew 28, 19 that says, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, right? Oh, that's what we're called to do as a church. But if you go to John twenty-one fifteen, when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, then feed my lambs. And he repeated that, Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. And then he asks again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter is beside himself, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says again, feed my sheep. But what he asks them is really interesting. He says, do you love me? He was wondering, he was asking and pointing out the love factor. Sometimes we miss that. Do you love me? And we wonder, love? Like, yeah. And see, Jesus demonstrated his love. He, with his disciples, he took them through love. He showed them how to love. He walked them through all, all things of life. So the thing is, is do you love me? Before we can go on, it's do you love me? Let's look at Hebrews twelve fifteen, and we're going to just kind of put that on pause because it will tie in in a little bit. Hebrews twelve fifteen it says, "Look after each other, so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God." Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Sometimes our identity is so rooted rooted in being offended. And it's not just that, but it's poison. It's a poisonous root of bitterness. And with some of our lives, we've gone, we've just had thing after thing after thing after thing, and we're just so used to being hurt and wounded that we don't know how to escape it. And wherever we turn, it just seems like it attacks us again. And then there's times when we go through things, we just don't know how to walk out of that. So it says... Look after each other. You know, it takes relationship to look after each other. You know that? It takes relationship. That no one fails to receive the grace of God. So when we think of grace, and I said this a little bit last night, and I want to review this. And it is on page 7 of your notebook, this definition. This is the word that when you looked up grace to define it, it's like, Haris, as if you were to say it. I practice. Haris. Grace is one of the first definitions. It's that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. It's grace of speech, goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. Grace is the divine influence on the heart and its reflection. Sometimes the way we use... The word grace is ability. We'll have grace to do this when the right time comes. Are you having a hard week? Grace. God gives you grace. Or we can use it as undeserving favor. By God's grace, you have been saved. It was only by God's grace I got out of a speeding ticket. Like, whew, got out of that one. That's God's grace right there, you know. Or sometimes like, or I don't know how that happened. Woo, that was God's grace. Sometimes it's our own will. Oh, it's only by God's good graces that I can even make it to church. Or it's like, by God's grace, I'm going to be there. You know, kind of like a more authoritative, you know, scary thing. But when we see it as as defined as that which affords joy and pleasure, we can see the Father's heart and what that grace is rooted in. That it's more than just ability. It's the joy and the pleasure that he sees over us. That is which carries us on. Grace requires discipline. Sometimes it's what we choose. When we go through difficulties, the Bible calls them trials and tribulations. We tend to look at them through a certain lens. And we talked about that. So the second definition of grace I want to bring real quick, if you could put that up there, is grace turns you to Christ. Grace keeps you. It strengthens you. It increases your faith, increases your knowledge, increases your affection, and kindles you to exercise virtues. Or, in other words, what pleasing in God's sight. It's what turns you to Christ. Sometimes that grace just keeps you. It strengthens you. It increases your faith. It increases your knowledge. increases your affection. And kindles you to exercise what's pleasing in God's sight. It's unrealistic to believe that we're going to go through this life without needing grace. But we live in a culture that says, I don't need anybody else. It's just me and Jesus. That's the culture. That's some things that we, as we grow up in the church, because of our woundings, because of things that have happened to us, we were like, nah, nah, Kaylin, you stay there. I'll just, I'll let you know. I don't, I don't need relationship. And that's so opposite of God's heart. We need grace in everything. We can't do this Christian life without it. We can't walk according to his word without grace. Sometimes we try, don't we? Okay, sometimes I try. I'll personalize this. (laughs) I don't need you. Michelle, I don't need you. I'm fine by my own. We pull away. We separate ourselves. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us. Grace means both of those words. Both of those words grace, sorry, means the exact same thing. It means that which affords pleasure and delight. So let us approach God's throne of grace, of joy, of pleasure, of delight. That's our God, <laughs> so that we may receive mercy and receive more grace. How do we know if we're walking in grace? It's what we choose in the moment. Grace and peace. It's what we choose during the trial. I'm going to give you a couple examples. A friend of mine months ago moved into a new house and uh, she's having a kind of a hard time with life you know trials are coming up Well, right when they moved in their house they're both in the medical field they had an outbreak of scabies in their house and their children you you know those little bugs that get under your skin and you have got to like wash all your clothes all your stuffed animals your bedding like you got to do all this crazy stuff She's got four children. three are little. And so she had to go through all that, get all her house in order. She just moved into a big house as well. And so she had more to do. So she got that done. She had to stay away from, you know, people, so she wouldn't give them scabies. It's important. Thank you for that. So the next weekend comes along, and she's like, Lisa, you're not going to believe this. We have lice. My, my daughter had a friend over. She had lice, and it's everywhere, and all of the girls have it. So guess what happened? She had to go do the same thing again. A week later, she thought, this is done. It's over with. And I kid you not, the very next week, they got lice a second time. This happened, like boom, boom, boom. And, and she said, Lisa, all I can do is laugh. And I said, that's God's grace. Have you ever went through something and you're like, okay, okay, God, this, is, <laughs> this has to be you because it's definitely not me. And I'm like, you know, right there, that was God's grace. How you received that, what you chose to walk in was grace. Here's another example, my personal favorite. Ha ha, you guys are going to laugh at me. In a good way, not like me, Okay. So, we were preparing for this conference, and um, we were talking about hope, and Kaylin brought that awesome phrase, you're not allowed to receive, what was that, again, say that exact word, you're not allowed to receive, be hopeless, you don't have permission to be hopeless about anything that God isn't hopeful for, right, doesn't have hope for, okay. Okay. You have permission to be hopeless about anything that God is hopeless about. Always get those mixed up. So basically, if God feels, okay, yes, this is a hopeless situation, then you have permission to be hopeless. Okay. So, and so we're excited about that word and we're like, yeah, so we made this agreement. This week, let's not choose to be hopeless about anything that God isn't without hope in. Yeah, so we're like, okay. So we finished our meeting, and this is just God's funny thing. I, hi, my husband, how you doing? He's like this. I go home. We don't have any air conditioning. It's like 95 degrees out. Our air conditioning just died. I'm like, oh, Jesus, you really are helping me here, aren't you? Okay. You know, and we've got two, we have two young kids in the house. Trying to think if Grant was there, so we have three, but two small, smaller ones, like let's say uh, 10 and 12 at the time. And I'm like, Yeah, we don't get to be hopeless about this, so right. And so, um, we have someone come in and they are going to fix it. Um, they say, Yep, it's all done. We got your air conditioning fixed, good. So, we're getting ready to go home. And um, we, have, we had a meeting here at the church. And CJ said, Lisa, I have some bad news for you. It isn't fixed, and it's 90 degrees in the house. And there's no wind. There's no breeze. There's no nothing. And um, during that time, I was teaching horse riding lessons. And I was out in the heat for a lot of the day. So it was very important that I cooled off so I could do my lessons in the morning because I worked outside. And I was like, oh, my goodness, and right there, I'm like, you know what? I choose not to be hopeless about the situation. And you think, oh, yeah, that sounds real good, Lisa. Yeah. It's 90 degrees in my house with no breeze, with two children and two big old lab dogs. So we come to church, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to remain hopeful in this situation. I, you know what? I'm just going to believe that there's going to be this cool breeze that comes through our house and it's going to cool off, and it's just going to be a miracle. It's going to be awesome. And then so I come in, and I'm, like, telling my group, yeah, our air conditioning's out, but God's going to do, you know. And so just different people that you talk to, they're like, yeah, stinks to be you. You know, like, huh? <laughs> poor Lisa, that stinks, you know, kind of. I'm thinking, no, I'm being hopeful. I'm really trying to be hopeful. But people around me, like, weren't helping at all. What are you gonna do? That's horrible. I could never sleep in that heat because that's so awful. You get sticky. Are you gonna rent a motel room? What are you guys gonna do? This is awful. And I'm like, I'm being hopeful because Jesus is gonna come in with a cool breeze and he's gonna cool my house down. <laughs> okay, so we go home and and we remember that the church has some apartments that are air, air conditioned. So I'm like, hey. Yeah, we could do that. We could just come into town, get a good night's rest. I could go back out to the house tomorrow morning and do my lesson. Yeah, it sounds like such a great idea. There's one problem with that. My husband was not like buy-in. You know, he wasn't like, that's a great idea. He said, you know, let's just go home and see what happens. I'm like, yeah, we're going to go home and see what happens. And in my mind, I'm like, which means we're not staying. Like, we're going to pack our bags and we're going to leave. So that's just kind of how I think sometimes. I'm sorry. I know you guys are perfect wives. (laughs) I just am not always. So we get home, and it is like peel your clothes off, and they're sticking to you. Like, you know, you have to peel them because the sweat on your legs. And we came from an air-conditioned vehicle into the house, and immediately it was just like, oh, my goodness. And we got some really big fans. I'm like, CJ, we can't do this. And of course, with the kids, it's so hot, mom. I can't do this, mom. Can we go to town? And my heart's like, oh, inside, I want to say, yes, dear, we'll go into town. But I didn't, I didn't say anything. I wanted to. So wanted to. And I said, you know, honey, it's just really hot. And we got into our, you know, clothes, tank tops, shortest shorts you could find, you know, just like this, okay. And I said, "Hun, the kids are really bad. They're just, they're not happy. They're crying. And they're, literally, they're just bawling in tears. We can't do this. He's like, Lisa, let's give it a chance. Let's put the fans on. Let's give it a chance. I'm like, I don't want to give it a chance. I want to get into my air condition. And I wrestled with it for a little bit. He went out and all happy and sat in his chair. And I'm in the bedroom going, "Hard." Lord, this is not fair. I do not want to be in this house, and I don't want my kids crying because they're out there crying. And all of a sudden, it's like, hope, Lisa. You don't have permission to be hopeless about anything that I'm like, but this is my babies. You don't understand. And I'm miserable too. And I need to sleep. So I, uh, okay, Lord, I'm going to give it some time. I'm going to listen to my husband. And I could have argued. I could have really wrung him out. I could have. I could have gotten my way. I just, I know how to do that, okay? As women, you know, I know how I could have pushed him and pushed his buttons to get us out of that house because it was that miserable. But I chose not to. I said, okay, God, I'm gonna choose you. I'm gonna choose to remain in your great your grace and your joy and your pleasure and your goodness and your kindness. I'm gonna choose that, okay? So we sat down in our living room. Fans are blowing right on us, and I'm like, okay, Jesus, okay, okay. Kids had to sleep in there, and anyway, so we sat there for 30, 40 minutes, and I didn't think I was gonna get tired. But after a while, I'm like, you know, I'm starting to get sleepy now. And I'm not quite as sticky. So let's just try to go to bed and see what happens. So we went to bed. We had a fan in on us. Our windows are open. It blowed on us, you know, all night long. I slept the whole entire night. I woke up the next morning when the sun comes up around 630, which is a miracle, by the way. I am not the morning person, okay, y'all? So the Proverbs one that says, you know, she rises before, like, I'm not that part of the Proverbs one, Okay. And you know what? Jesus still loves me, and I'm totally fine and sanctified in Jesus' name. Okay. I wake up at 630, and I feel cool. And one of the things that I love to have in the morning is coffee. I don't drink like a pot. I just like the smell. I just like that one cup just to enjoy. I just enjoy that. I'm like, God, I'm not going to be able to have my coffee because it's going to be too hot. I woke up, and I'm like, you know, I feel okay. I walked in the house, and there was a cool breeze in the house. And I thought, you know, I think I can have some coffee. So I got some coffee. It was getting a little sticky out. I went out my door. There's a big shaded area right on my steps. And I sat down, and there was such a cool breeze, I almost got chilly. God's grace. I never would have experienced that measure of grace had I fasted at my husband and got my own way, I never would have. And I had the most peaceful time with the Lord that morning. His presence was so tangible, and I, I would have missed it. I would have missed that part of the, my relationship with him. But I would have got my own way because I would have been Right? Right? There are other things that we can choose besides grace. And I know Kay read a whole bunch with her poverty mentality. I'm sorry, it's not her poverty mentality. That was bad. (laughs) There we can choose hopelessness. We can choose bitterness. We can choose unforgiveness, rage. Whatever the flesh offers, we can always counter it with grace. I'm going to read some, um, some verses to you. There's quite a few, but as we go through them, I want you to be thinking about situations and your lens through the cross, through the word of God. What the word says versus what our feelings say. Are you ready? And they're going to post them because I bet they have every single one. In Jesus' name. Okay. James 1 verse 2. People are like, oh, no, thank you, Lisa. It says, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. That joy is like exuberant celebration. Wow, y'all are like like feeling me. (laughs) When troubles come your way, just account it all joy or consider it an opportunity for great joy. Because of what it produces, it reads that all man, you'll see what it produces. Because of that, like it's a joyous thing. That's part of the choosing grace, it's a discipline. Hebrews, I want you to go, let's go to Hebrews 12, 6 and 7. And I'm just going to, sometimes, this is ESV, Okay. It says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves, ow, and chastises every son or daughter whom he receives. It is for discipline you have to endure. God is treating you as sons or daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline if you are left without discipline? It talks about discipline. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. Let's go down to uh, 12, 11, the next one. Hebrews 12, verse 11. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living. For those who are trained in this way. Sometimes submitting to grace, submitting to God's words a discipline. Like we have, like we have, we choose it. It's a choosing. I choose to receive grace. Although my body is screaming at me right now. Second Corinthians twelve eight through 10. Did I put that one down there? Okay, let's go to 1 Peter 4.1. I know that one's in there. I must not have written that one down. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Those are really hard words. You're like, what? It's better to suffer for doing good? We don't like that, those words, in our, in our culture. Let's go down to 1 Peter 4.12. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to rest, when it comes upon to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised when things come up and we like, "Ah, I can't believe they treated me that way. You know, like, don't be surprised. 1 Peter three seventeen, it is better to suffer for doing good if, they should be, if that should be God's will than from doing wrong. 1 Peter 2, 19 through 21, for God is pleased with you, okay, when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. For God is pleased with you. Yeah, woohoo! <laughs> God is pleased with you when you do what's right and you patiently endure unfair treatment. Is that in our, like, world Bible? Like the Bible of our life? You know, like, everything opposite of that screams at it, doesn't it? And then it says, of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently god is pleased with you verse 21 for god called you to do good even if it means suffering and that's not just about going to the mission fields it's about living in your house it's about living with your neighbors It's about being in your church it's about being in relationship god For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He's an example, and you must follow in his steps. Like, Lisa, ow, that was kind of painful. But we have to see situations sometimes through the lens of the word. Because unfair things are going to happen to us. I guarantee you. We love smooth roads. We love everything to be nice. I love comfort. I love comfort. I love my house. I love my chair. I love to sit down. I love everything to be at peace. I want everyone to love me. Like, everyone needs to love Lisa. Oh, I feel so good. Everyone loves me. And everyone is nice to me. And everyone said good things to me. Like, I love that. But, you know, God's word doesn't promise that's what our life is going to look like. It just doesn't. But he says he's pleased with us when we endure it. And it says, tells us he, to rejoice in those times, right? So a few of the points, for the past through few months, um, the Holy Spirit just gave me a few phrases to write down. And, um, and I just kind of wrote these things down. So these are little nuggets of wisdom from a pastor's wife. Sometimes we get so familiar with our ashes, we think they're normal. Whenever you go through a traumatic time, either emotionally or physically, our normal, our normal gets reset. And the, way we, and the way you've learned to cope or function now becomes normal. When we go through trauma, we go through something really hard, And we do whatever we can to cope and to get through it. Our lens gets refocused and we think, oh, this is the new normal. This is how I should look at everybody. I'm not going to trust anybody anymore. Oftentimes we expect others to do things the exact same way as we do them. We believe everybody should see life the exact way that we see life. We want people to be Jesus to us. But we can list 10 reasons why we're unable to be Jesus to anyone else. When we believe a lie, we are activating a type of faith. Have you ever seen that? Like if someone, like let's say, I'm like, you know what, Sheila's mad at me. She didn't tell me, but the way she's been looking at me, she's, she's mad. And I know Jesus, and Jesus speaks to me, so that's truth. And then Sheila walks by me and she does this. And I'm like, see, I knew it. It's true. And she's like, oh, no, I was in deep thought about the health of my parents. And I'm sorry I didn't see you. Wow. Well, so there goes my lie. Okay. There goes my propheticness. When we believe a lie, we are activating a type of faith. It's important to locate the lie, speak the truth against it, which is God's word, then true faith will have its perfect work. I feel like Sheila's mad at me, but I choose to love Sheila even though she feels that way. I will not let her feelings come between my feelings of her, like not loving me, come between our relationship. My friendship's that valuable. The adversary keeps us focused on our pain and our offense to such an extent that we can't carry on to the high calling he's called us to. That's that poisonous, bitter root which defiles many. That high calling is rooted in love. The roar of the enemy gets us so focused on our offense, on our pain, on our ashes, and our being right. Our ashes. We don't see any hope or desire to arise. We need to find our yes. We need to find our freedom. We love being right. I am right. We can worship being right, but sometimes you can be absolutely right and be dead wrong. Sometimes being right can actually be the thing that's killing you. Unity, the thoughts we choose to entertain are like the wolf that separates you from the body and from the truth. If the enemy can separate us in any way, if he can put a wedge in a fence, even a disagreement, not that it's wrong to disagree, but if we're always disagreeable, if everybody, we disagree with everybody, we separate ourselves from the herd, from the, from the pack, and we are liable for the attack of the enemy. Ashes, we can't get away from suffering and troubles, grieving on some level about loss. And though the word is not, it's not God's word to never have ash experiences, but what we do with those times, what, what do we do with those times and those grievances? We think it's God's will to never have anything come up. But we have to choose what we are going to do when things do come up, when things do arise. What ashes are we holding on to, and how are we scattering them? Do we tell everybody else about our ashes? About our offenses? Do we feel like we need to share the love with everybody? Don't go to Sheila. Now, I love Sheila. She knows that, so I'm picking on her. Because, you know, she has a false spirit. And I tell that to you, and then all of a sudden... All you can see is, yep, don't go to Sheila. Oh, don't trust Sheila. No. See, I even saw it too, Lisa. We need to invite the light to come in and reveal. Lord, what am I holding on to? What am I scattering? Sometimes we believe people are holding us back from being used by God, but it's just really us being offended and holding on to hurts and pain the enemy always doesn't have to do much to us just make us offended at someone sometimes it's all it takes we're going down like we're growing in Jesus and all of a sudden someone comes along and says something rude and you're like ah! and that takes you out for a year i'm just saying The thing that you're defeated by is the thing that is robbing you of your potential. The spirit of offense cries, the cross was not enough. The cross was not enough. The spirit of love lays down her life for those she loves. The spirit of offense screams, I am right, and I need to be validated by being right. When the spirit of love covers a multitude of sins, it's no longer about us being right. The spirit of offense says, You owe me, and you must be punished until I get what I believe I deserve. I'm mad at you, and I'm gonna get you until I feel better that you've suffered enough. The spirit of love says, Jesus paid the price and took the punishment. For everyone's sins. Our job is to forgive. Offense is rooted in fear. And it says perfect love casts out fear. So I'm just starting to open some things up for you, ladies. I don't know about any of your experiences. If you've told me I forgot, I'm not up here going, oh, I know what Sheila said to me last night, so I'm going to tell that. Like, I'm not thinking. Write down what is your offense? Maybe it's with God. Maybe you need to learn how to heal. Maybe you need to learn how to see your pain through the lens of the cross. And now that I ripped your band aids off, I have good news. Kaylin's going to come up and heal us.
1: Okay. Before I start, um I'd like to give you a sec just to do what Lisa said. And in your books, um, there's a spot I think it says people I choose to forgive. And if you guys could just play some worship music for a sec. We're just going to give you like 5 minutes, maybe 10 minutes with the Holy Spirit and just let him let him uh, be vulnerable before the Lord and let him bring up Stuff in your heart, and this—I know this is a pain, could be a painful process, but if you just trust him in it, I feel like he's going to do something really powerful. All right, so like Lisa said, I'm going to come in and bring the healing aspect of, of hurts and healing. Um, when Lisa first was first telling me about what she was going to share about this afternoon, I immediately saw this picture of. You know the story about the Good Samaritan, that parable, where he poured in the oil and the wine. And um, and so I'd actually like to look at that and talk about what that represents. Um, it's a familiar parable in Luke 10, 25 through 37, and this is actually a picture of the work of Jesus in our lives. So, yeah, so here we go. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Right? It's a good one. That's okay. We'll just skip that. Okay. No worries. That's my fault. I don't have a PowerPoint ready. Okay, so let's just, I'm just going to talk to this through. Everyone knows that parable, right? About the good Samaritan, the man that was going along the path, fell among thieves. Uh, the good Samaritan came and helped him heal his wounds. You guys know that, right? Okay, well, verse 30 in that, uh, the traveler who fell among thieves um, represents us because uh, the thief in the garden, because of the thief in the garden, Abraham fell, or, or Adam fell. Excuse me. Because of the thief in the garden, Adam fell. Uh, verse thirty b says they stripped him of his clothes and beat him and left him half dead. So that um, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and left him half dead. That's the threefold curse of the law: so poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. So stripped him of his clothes is poverty. Beat him is sickness and pain in our body. And half dead is spiritual death. Um, half dead represents the spiritual death we are in before salvation. So we walk around in our physical and soulish life, but our spirit is dead before the cross, right? Before we accept Jesus. Um, so the, the Samaritans were desp- the despised people because they were half breeds. And so Jesus was both man and God. He was half breed. So Jesus is actually the Samaritan. Um, so let's see, in verse 33, Jesus, the good Samaritan, ministered to the man's needs. He bandaged his wounds and poured in oil and wine. So bandaged his wounds uh, represents healing that threefold curse. Poured in the oil uh, was of the Holy Spirit for salvation. And the wine of the Holy Spirit is an infilling where we identify with his power. So verse 34 says, when he put the man on his own donkey, talking about the Samaritan or Jesus, um, he brought him to the inn and took care of him. So Jesus takes care of us in our temporary dwelling here on earth. So verse 35, the next day um, he took out two denarii and gave them to an innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So that represents Jesus paid the full price of the cost of our sin, past, present, and future. Okay, verse 36 and 37 uh, says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Jesus chose and champions mercy. This story is not only a beautiful picture of Jesus' redemptive healing work, it is also a call into mercy. So we see verse 25 and 29 says, On one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, and who is my neighbor? So, and then Jesus answered with that parable of the Good Samaritan. So if we are the traveler in the parable whom Jesus healed, paid for, and had mercy on, and if we are to love our neighbor as we are loved, and we are called to walk in the mercy of the good Samaritan. So with the oil and the wine that the Holy Spirit has poured into our wounds, we are equipped for mercy. So I want to talk a little bit about mercy and forgiveness. Because forgiveness is one of the greatest things that brings our healing. So the first thing I want to talk about is do not take revenge. So Romans twelve seventeen through 21 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil." Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So God says, do not take revenge. That's a pretty explicit statement. Explicit meaning very clear and complete, leaving no doubt about the meaning. So he says, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So avenge, the avenging is taking care of the wrongdoer. Repaying is taking care of the victim, or a return of what was lost or stolen to the rightful owner, or the person who was wounded. So uh, the dictionary definition of avenge, is to harm or punish someone who has harmed you or someone or something that you care about, to take vengeance for on behalf of or to exact satisfaction for a wrong by punishing the wrongdoer. Repay means to pay back, to give or inflict in return of, or requital, uh, to compensate or recompense. So the New King James that version of uh, that verse that I just read says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves but rather give place for, to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So God says, don't take that vengeance on yourself. All right. So if God says that he will avenge and he will repay, how did he do that? Well, the avenging work was completed on the cross. The cross completely, or it did the cross completely pay for our sin. From anger to murder, from looking lustfully uh, to full-out adultery, what was it all paid for? Matthew 5 so- shows us the true breath of sin that was paid as Jesus raised the bar for what righteousness really looks like. So remember he said if you're angry with your brother, you've actually committed murder. You know, he kind of he raised the bar on that. So we know that the cross completely paid for all that sin, that entire expanse from the smallest to the biggest. It's all taken care of on the cross, right? So we would probably answer, yes, it's all paid for. For me, yes. For other people, of course. But what about the people that sin against you or someone that you love? Was their sin paid for on the cross too? When we forgive, we are agreeing with the work of the cross. Jesus' death and resurrection paid the full price for all the sin of all mankind, past, present, and future, and he broke the power of death and sin. When I am wounded and working through forgiveness, I can picture Jesus on the cross in between me and the person who hurt me. Their sin was taken care of on the cross. So you may be thinking, but you don't know what's happened to me. They owe me for all the pain that they've caused and for what they stole. Yes, I'm sure they do. And that is actually true. Galatians 3.1 says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? So this is the simple gospel that sin cannot be paid for by works. The only true redemptive work was accomplished on the cross. So I applied the simple gospel to my own sin. When I received Jesus, I fully understood. Yes, it is a debt that I cannot pay. Nothing I could ever do could pay for my sin. Now, why would I expect others to pay me back? They are equally unable to pay for their sin. Nothing they could ever do could pay for the hurt. That's why human vengeance is never truly satisfactory. Hebrews 9:16 through 22 says, And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So I don't want that person to repay me. I choose and accept God's repayment. When I forgive, I am surrendering my right for that person to personally pay me back. I apply the avenging accomplishment of the cross to their mistake, sin, or even intentional painful actions. And I release that person into God's mercy and my decision to give them mercy. In faith, because I know that God repays way better than they ever could. So we know that God keeps no record of sin. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 says this. And as I read this, remember that God is love. So love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So by reading that, we know that God keeps no record of wrongs. So Psalm 130, 3-4 in the Message Bible, this is one of my favorites. It says, if you, God, kept records on wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? As it turns out, forgiveness is your habit, and that's why you're worshipped. Romans 8, 38-39 says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if God is good and God is just, how is it that He can keep no record of my sin? If He is just, wouldn't justice be required, or wouldn't justice require that my sin be avenged? Yes. He says, "It is mine to avenge; I will repay." So the avenging work was accomplished on the cross. God keeps no record of sin because it's already been paid for. Before the world was created, He already had a plan that would take care of sin forever. Revelation thirteen eight says, "The Lamb who was slain before the creation of the world." And First Peter one seventeen through twenty three says. who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So once a debt is paid in the natural, if I have student loans or something and I have debt, Once that debt is paid, there's no reason to keep track of the amount owed anymore. It's paid for and done. Right? You can release that debt once it's paid for. So don't you think God has a reason for not keeping track of our sin? I don't think it's because he is forgetful or lazy or irresponsible. (laughs) No, he doesn't keep track because as soon as we sin, Jesus' blood cries out mercy. Hallelujah. I've paid for that sin already, he says. It's already taken care of. God remains just, and Jesus fulfilled the just requirements of the law. God is love, and love himself keeps no record of wrongs. So God keeps no record of wrongs, and he doesn't need my bookkeeping skills. (laughs) So I can be free myself and not worry about keeping track of other people's wrongs. The cross has already avenged the wrong, and I can trust in God's repayment plan. So the next thing I want to talk about is heavenly places. We talked about that a little bit this morning, about um, the picture of of God as judge and that Jesus is pleading mercy for us because of his blood. So uh, Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up and seated with Christ, Uh, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So to increase the brevity of this passage, we must first read the preceding verses to grasp the context. So this is kind of a long section, but it's really important. So Ephesians two, one through 10 says, as for you, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions and sins. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that, so this is why he raised us up to the heavenly realms. In the coming ages, he might show his incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's from the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So why did God raise us up and seat us with Jesus in heavenly places? And when we're in that place, in heavenly places, what will we see there in that place next to Christ? What is Jesus doing right now in the heavenly realms? According to Romans eight thirty three through 34 Jesus is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So as we are seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms, we will see him at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He is pleading mercy. So Hebrews twelve twenty two through 24 says, um, it, it could be intended to give us a visual on what those heavenly places look like. The place where we are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. So we actually read this one this morning, but I'm reading it again. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the Living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God Himself, who is the Judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. So Jesus' blood speaks forgiveness because Jesus gave his life and paid the price that vengeance required. So that blood of Abel part is important. Um, We know that he was murdered, which would require some vengeance, right? Um, That was a really terrible thing that happened uh, back in Genesis So before the cross, vengeance was required. But Jesus' blood purchased that. Jesus' blood fulfilled the vengeance. So he says, it's mine to avenge, I will repay. And he accomplished that on the cross. So forgiveness is not saying it's okay. When we choose to forgive, sin is not okay. And it took Jesus... Jesus' entire life to pay for it. Forgiveness is surrender. Forgiveness is surrendering our heart to the complete work of the cross. So the cross accomplishes healing also. So we know by his stripes, by his wounds, we have been healed. So the cross accomplished forgiveness and restoration, my healing. So he heals my heart. 1 John 2, 1 through 2 says, My dear children, I'm writing to this so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. So like I said, Jesus is in heavenly places pleading mercy for us before the Father. And because he is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. So, So this first this in first John really is sort of the thesis of what we're talking about. So it's saying, I'm writing this to you so you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, so just in case that happens, which, you know, it's a possibility. <laughs> just in case that happens, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father, which is Jesus pleading mercy in the heavenly realms, Right? So he is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. So whenever I am hurt, and whether it's sin or not, hurt, only was, a product, hurt was a product of the fall, right? There's no pain in heaven, um, in the garden, there was no pain, right? God has a perfect full life plan for us. So the cross redeemed redeemed all of it. So when I'm hurt um, and someone sinned against me, I can picture myself in the heavenly realms with Jesus. And I'm like, okay, Jesus, what you're doing right now is you're pleading mercy for that person. And I see your blood that he, he spilled on the cross. And I know that only that pays for what that person did. So I surrender my rights for that person to pay me back because... Jesus' blood is the only thing that covers sin. That's the gospel. So I apply the gospel to my life and to the people who hurt me. Now, forgiveness is a very powerful thing because um, whenever you... You know that... that, uh, I think it's in Psalms. It says that people who are in debt are slaves to the borrower. So that means that the person that they're enslaved to has authority over them, right? So... Whenever you have an opportunity to release forgiveness, you are actually in a place of authority over the person that hurts you in this sense, that you have the, the opportunity to be able to forgive them. That because they owe you, you have the decision for mercy or to require the debt, right? And so in, from that place of authority, we can say, I choose to forgive. I choose to agree with Jesus. And that is a powerful place and I've seen it time and time again in my life be the very thing that releases that person into freedom with God. Um, so I uh, I had a, a season in my life where I, I spent a lot of time forgiving my dad, my earthly dad, um, for various things. And um, I was very intentional about continually forgiving him. And there was this one point where I just, sometimes it's a a process, which this was, and sometimes there's that moment when you're like, oh, yes, I fully release it now. I think it might be kind of like chipping at a mountain. You know, you chip at the mountain, and then there's finally the place where it breaks apart. You know, well, that happened with me in forgiving my dad, and I'll never forget that experience of truly forgiving him, and I was pleading mercy for him. Well, it wasn't just maybe two months after that, um, We had this event here at the church that he came to. And he responded to the altar call and gave his life to Jesus. (laughs) And to see the transformation happen in his life has been absolutely amazing. Um, And he's actually preaching at a church this Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) But I had a choice. I could have required vengeance from him. (laughs) But because of the beautiful, simple gospel... I was able to agree with Jesus who's pleading mercy for him. Because I know in my life, the things that I do, only the cross can, for, can purchase my forgiveness. And so nothing my dad could ever do or give back to me could ever pay for that. Only the cross can do that. So in that list of people that that you wrote, is this okay? I just want to give you that opportunity to make that decision. And as you make that decision, I would like you to consider their eternity. Is your receiving vengeance worth their eternity? Because the vengeance that you would require out of them would, would not fulfill you. I can promise you that. Because only the cross takes care of sin. So you have the authority to release them. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, I just invite you. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just drop in our hearts a picture of what you're doing in heavenly places God I want to look into your eyes of mercy because you champion mercy and I can trust you completely God that not only will the cross take care of my need it will heal my wounds the cross can heal the deepest wounds by his stripes, we were healed. A deep, deep healing that only the cross can accomplish. And so by releasing my right for vengeance and choosing the cross, I'm saying yes to the healing that you want to give me. And I'm saying yes, Jesus, I want your plan of eternity for that person. I want to see you in their life, Jesus. Jesus. So, God, we just surrender that to you. And I thank you for your anointing. God, in your grace, like Lisa talked about, your grace right now to sincerely say yes to the cross. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name.
0: Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ministry team, let you take your place. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, so this is, for some of you, I know you are going to need someone just to help walk you through this. <laughs> I understand, and there is no shame in that. Could you start playing some worship music, Mr. Soundboothman? Booth That'd be music, yeah. And there is no shame in, like, and we, that's what the body of Christ is for. It's for, to go to one another and say, okay, here is my mess, and I need you to help me in my mess. Like, help me process this. Will you pray for me? I invite you to do that. I invite you to do that. What an honor to be well for this these tender hearts, just for to allow Holy Spirit to heal those, and what an honor and privilege it is just to be a part of that. Can I just say that? What an honor it is for me and for Kaylin and for these ministries just to be a part of your healing, and part of your arising, and that's what forgiveness is as well. It's part of our arising. So let's go ahead. Let's go for prayer. Let's go to Jesus. The altar is open. If you just want to come up and kneel and give it to Jesus as well, just feel free. And let's just spend this some time with the Lord. And you're free to go up to receive prayer ministry.